Welcome everyone to episode 85 of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. You're joined by myself, Jack, DY, DC, and of course, Lawrence. And we're recording this on Wednesday, the 27th of December. But actually, for those listeners that don't know, we always record a week in advance. So we're always slightly behind the times, but that's okay. And we've just completed another year of an episode each week. So I think we deserve just a little pat on the back for that. Another year of uh, consistency. And just want to thank everyone for tuning in. Uh, for those of you who still kind of hold true to the podcast each week. And we've got a different sort of episode uh, for today. And just a bit of a different questioning style. We've This is actually dictated by AI. I asked ChatGPT for a few podcast questions and, and chose some that I think will resonate a bit more with us. And we'll get stuck into question one of the day. Uh, this one's for you, uh, DC, I think we'll just kind of rotate around everyone. But what did you eat for breakfast today? Mm, yeah, good question, man. I went with something just completely different, off the cuff, never had before. Went for uh, protein oats. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Keeping it nice and boring. Uh, did um, DY or Lawrence, did you have cream of rice? Uh, 90 grams of buckwheat flour, uh, 350 mils of water. Uh, what was it? One and a half scoops of whey protein, uh, rule one blend, of course, and 150 grams of berries. There you go. Damn, it's got the quantities on deck as well. Mm. Well, I no trained first though. thing. Yeah, nah, trash. Uh, I trained first thing this morning. So I had my usual pre-workout meal, cream of rice, whey, dark chalk. That was my brekkie this morning. What did you have, Jack? I had uh, Milo cereal blended, of course, with some milk, banana, protein powder, and some almonds. So pretty pretty standard for me. So it was a smoothie. It wasn't actually like a cereal bowl. Well, I mean, depends how you want to look at it. But yeah, I drank, drink it in a smoothie beverage container. Mm. Yeah, right. I'm actually not, I haven't met anyone who actually blends their cereal rather than like eats it. So that's, that's mm. a new thing. I blended the Milo once and it just tasted like shit. It just made it taste like 10 times worse. So I, had to, I couldn't do it. Mm. Yeah, I guess taste is of lesser importance. If you resort to blending, then I, I don't think you're particularly concerned around taste. Mm. So I just drink That's it. That's true. Like but I think, you know how, like, for example, when we're in a dieting phase, we often want to avoid highly palatable foods because then it encourages you to eat it more. Mm. Maybe there's merit to, you know, highly palatable foods in the off season to try and mm. encourage you to eat more, especially if you're, you know. Trust me, mate, I've tried that. Especially yeah. if you're fat, like, you know, into the and your, your carbs are, you know, 7,000, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. <laughs> I do know a guy that might be able to help you out. Good old Sam Sullock. Two mm. litre chalky milk. milk yeah. AM straight in the gulp. That'll, that'll get your cows up. Mm, nice. You've got to go the Joey Cantlin approach, Jack. You've got to get a couple slices of cake in that smoothie. Yeah. yeah. Like cheesecake, preferably, or any cake. Oh, look, if you don't want to flatten out immediately, then yeah, cheesecake would be the option. But you've time and time again shown that you're not that serious about it. So, yeah. I don't know. Just do whatever you want, mate. Maybe just have a Barocca tomorrow morning. Yeah. Hell, you might even throw in a fiber one bar if you're <laughs> half serious about it. Mate, a Barocca and a Quest. Just get on with your day. <laughs> Yeah, that's perfect. That's the breakfast of champions, and maybe, maybe a cigarette. <laughs> uh, we'll move on to the next one before I get roasted anymore. So, how did you meet your spouse slash significant other? So, Lawrence, let's start with you. I think you've got the the longest streak running here. Yes, I believe so. Gemma and I we were introduced to one another when we were fourteen by a mutual friend so Gemma's best friend from forever like they're, they're still best friends they've been friends since primary school Kira she was a friend of mine in high school and she was like oh like I've got a friend I think you guys would get along so we ended up going along to a little double date type thing at Victoria Point Cineplex I believe we saw the amazing Spider-Man 2 uh, Gemma and I exchanged you know next to no words on that date obviously you're in a movie theater so not really prime spot to get to know someone but then uh yeah we met a a few times after that at like parties and whatnot and just chatted online before she um you know begged me to to go out with her <laughs> so were you guys at the same school at that point or different schools no so i went to cleveland and Gemma went to ormiston where tiara went oh, right. so we right. we weren't at the same school 
but we yeah we started dating in grade nine and it was actually it was quite an interesting well I don't I suppose I don't know any different but like going out with someone in high school who you don't see at school all the time part of it was quite nice because it made like the weekends you know quite special you get to catch up and see one another um but you know it's a bit tricky when you don't have the flexibility of like a license or anything so yeah for those first couple of years you sort of get used to only seeing each other like once or twice a week but yeah the uh so coming grade up nine years, next year will be 10 years nice. which is uh yeah that's wild so don't anyway the, don't the gifts on in the anniversary change after uh like every decade or every you know once you get into double time. digits yeah yeah, yeah, mate, I reckon... Yeah, it's a 10-year. Well, it just tears up based on price range, doesn't it? So 10 would be up to $100 next year. Yeah, so, we discussed um, this in New York. Lawrence played it extremely smart off the start, and he started the budget extremely low, $10 for the first year. And then after that, you increase it by 5%. So you do the mass, and now we're at no, you wherever we're at now. What's yeah, next? I don't know. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> $5, $55, and then here we are. So yeah, next no. year she's getting treated nice. No, it was perfect actually because the um when we went to Tiffany and Co in New York, I was going to buy her a necklace, but I thought, wait a sec, there's a guy with a mat on the ground just outside the shop, and he's selling the same necklace for a tenth of the price. I was like, geez, this is an absolute no-brainer. So yeah, we got the one from the uh, questionable-looking gentleman on the street and mm. just saved money. It's absolute mm. no-brainer. And Dy got a a Louis Vuitton bag from the same same spot. Yeah. 40 bucks. Yeah, absolute steal. Legitimate too. Even came with a receipt. He wrote me it up on a little napkin. Uh, and by steal, DY means he stole it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We made money that trip, man. Money's up. That's all I'm saying. What about you, DC? Uh, yeah, so I, I moved up from Sydney to Brisbane around the time that, that COVID happened. And I think I was living up there for maybe four months, five months or something like that. And uh, Nicole had also moved to Brisbane because of COVID uh, from Japan. So we were training at the same gym. And uh, I mean, truthfully, I'm pretty sure she saw me hip thrusting 300 kgs. She thought, you know what? I weigh 60 kgs. What happens when he hip thrusts that? And uh, <laughs> yeah, baby, that's, that's, that's how it went down. Nice. Lovely. <laughs> Then it would have just been a pair of legs hanging out of the ceiling, wasn't it? <laughs> 12 hours after. Straight up. Yep. So how long has that been for you guys? Oh, God. I think it's I think coming up to three years now. Far out. It feels like it's been longer. Yeah, it yeah. does feel like that. Right? Yeah. I mean, no, it doesn't. <laughs> well, got him. All righty. We got him. Pack it up. <laughs> You're up next, D.Y. The first time I ever met... Camellia, it would have been at a posing class when I had a client there. So I had Rachel Crows there and we're at a posing class and she they were pretty much like best friends through competing and they introduced me. And then the time that I probably noticed her the most was when she actually did the same season as me with the where I turned pro and <laughs> saw the sword, knew what I was gonna be doing with that, alongside the pro card as well. Um and then you know, but obviously we couldn't do anything. Back then, we both had partners. Uh, fast forward, you know, we're both on the market, and uh, here we are. Who slid into who's PMs? Oh, God, that's a good question because I don't even know it. So <laughs> she would say me, I would say her. DY, would you, would you say that, you know, she saw the sword, then she saw the trophy that you were given for the overall win, mm. and it was just all over from there? A hundred percent. And the page. Right, jack's up, jack's up. Yeah, and the money's up. Uh, yeah, once it's all a paycheck, I get paid as a professional athlete. <laughs> Only me and DC would know about that. Huge dollars. Um, yeah. Not to Ten mention figures. free entry into ICN shows. Oh, I'm pretty much making money at this point. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, Tierra and I met in uh, 2016. So we're coming up on eight years uh, next year in May, which again, seems seems crazy that it's it's been that long. And uh, yeah, we were in the second year of uni. And uh, we were we met in biomechanics class, which I feel like I've told this story before, but on on TBD probably. And yeah, we we struck up a conversation immediately. We somehow got on the topic of of Matt Ogus of all people, 
think that was mm. back when uh, Snapchat was a bit more popular because Instagram didn't have stories yet. So, and I, I think uh, Snapchat did. So yeah, we got on the topic of Matt Ogus and then one thing led to another and uh, yeah, that's uh, the rest is history. Did our rest of our bachelor pretty much attack, attached at the hip and then our masters of dietetics together and then uh, straight into forming TBD and uh, now, now living together with two dogs. Mm. Very interesting first point of conversation though, Matt Ogus. Like how many people honestly in the fitness industry, like, you know, would probably, well, outside of the fitness industry would probably know who Matt Ogus is, even within the fitness industry. Like, yeah, unless you're a natural bodybuilder, like chances are, you know, mm. you probably haven't watched too much of him. So, hmm. Mate, if you were in the biomechanics class, how was your first point of contact not critiquing her, what I can only assume would have been abysmal back in 2016, iliac pulldown? It didn't even exist back then. We were just doing regular pulldowns. Could you imagine? We were just barbarians back then, weren't we? Cavemen with sticks and stones. Yeah, I mean... I wonder anyone had a back. I'd love to see an iliac pulldown crack now. Biomechanics. Should definitely be course material. I reckon we could maybe make it an entire degree, an undergraduate a Bachelor of Iliac lap pull-downs with honours. And we'll have Kasim running it too. It'd yeah. be the nah, professor. I'll run it. Yeah. I mean, we've got a physio here, mate. Come on. Yeah. Come on, man. What, what does Kasim have? Probably some sort of degree in fairness. Every yeah, single prime remember. machine that we don't have. So. Yeah. And, and any ones that he doesn't want, he just sends to Jack at Riggs. Yeah, scratches off the label though. Yeah. And saying that though, Riggs did just get the new Citadel Strength. Is it Citadel Strength System? I believe. Yeah. yeah the new, the new. Uh, we'll be on that tomorrow, aren't we, boys? Plate loaded pull down, very nice. Mm, is that where like the handle rotates, or the hand is like a free rotating handle as you pull down, like a front lap pull down, basically? Yes. Yeah. I think nice. so. Okay. But I mean, that's not. I wouldn't say that's like the main sort of uh, extravaganza of the piece and what is the main piece of extravaganza of the piece jack (laughs) i would say the just the uh biomechanical aspect of the line of pull and being able Mm. to have three three prongs to put the Mm. load Mm. it's a whole lot of load and And what would you say the yeah what would you say like you know the the angle of the pull would be you said the line of pull is terrific well i mean it's obviously the magical iliac pull-down degree, 60 degrees. Hmm. I mean, only... Well, I'm asking stupid questions, D.Y. Well, uh, I know the, the 60 degree, but I wanted to know what the machine was, not what the perfect degree of pull was. Mm-hmm. But that's not to be confused with the line of pull, which is the line that Jack used to pull Tierra in the said biomechanics class. See, all this stuff, it comes around full circle. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, It does. Mm. Mm. so dc i want to know for this next question how do your parents describe what you do for your work like I would they, were telling a, they were telling <laughs> would... a, like a, a a friend of theirs at a party and their friend asked oh what does your son do for work what they what would they say yeah 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 um i looked for the most part i think they explain it quite well they're like oh you know he does this bodybuilding coaching and and you know prepares athletes for the stage like i think they're they're they're, they're pretty around it but little do they know, I actually give people with eating disorders for plastic trophies. So, you know. Yeah. Well, now they know. I'll make sure they listen <laughs> to this. Yeah. Should I get my actual mum to think to <laughs> go weigh in on this? Yeah, go get her. I'll just do Well, mine's going to be quick because I tell them exactly what to say. I just say, listen, I'm a personal trainer, but I'm online and I mainly deal with competitors and i just kind of break it down to them because otherwise yeah but trying to tell would, someone, how would they interpret that like how would they tell someone that then? that's what that's why like you know it, like if i was to tell them they would probably say personal trainer but online and then he kind of specializes to an extent in uh bodybuilding and that's how they would pretty much tell someone mm. well bodybuilding competitions so i've got my mum here and mum, you'll only be able to hear when i put the headphones on you but okay. We just want you to explain to the listeners what you think, in your own words, a bodybuilding coach does. Obviously puts together the exercise plan, 
looks at photos of the person. That's 90% of what we do, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, And I think that's about it. It's an easy job. Overpaid, grossly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think so. I think so. Sounds about right. (laughs) Well, no, you actually did amazing. I think that's pretty much on on the money right there. Mm. Yeah. So, but I but I admire what you guys do. I mean, I could never do it. That's for now, sure. Now, what's Lawrence do? Because that is actually the question: is how would you describe what we do for work? What, what's Lawrence do? As a bodybuilding coach or as a physio? Well, he's a physio, isn't he? <laughs> I don't think he's, he's a, a bodybuilding physio. coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he's a he's a he's a he's a new bodybuilding coach. He's just started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also, what, I mean, the, and, the, 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 yeah. And what's he do as a physio? Does he do much? No. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> no. Well, I know for a fact that if I need to see him, I've got to actually make an appointment to go there. Yeah. yeah. He tells me the same thing every time, too. And every time yeah. we go there, we just chat. <laughs> he does that well. Yeah. He does yeah. that well. Well, he takes 45 minutes worth of my money. That's for sure. He's got well, very you know good that- chat. Allied health, you know. <laughs> mm, yeah. Private health did cover seventy percent of it, so I couldn't I think, hear anything that was going on. So uh I look I think the takeaway the takeaway here was that you just don't do a whole lot. And yeah. Coaches are overpaid. Mm. And I mean we just look at photos. So I mean it's what well, I think that was a pretty much a hundred percent description of what, what we do, right? Mm. Yeah, that bang on, which I think in all fairness, that sounds about right. Mm. 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 Yeah, so I think my parents would kind of just say, I think dietitian is the easy route for them and dietitian that works with bodybuilders maybe, or they might just settle for dietitian. But this next question says, what does your morning routine look like? Do you I'll let you kick this off? Well, you see, I like to wake up at 4.30, cold bath, then bare bum, out on the lawn, sun the hole. You know, get that direct sunlight in there. Energy levels are up. Yeah, exactly right. Put my pants back on, go back to sleep, wake back up, cream of rice, go train, hit the gym, have a chit chat. About two, anywhere from two to four hours, depending on who chews the ear off. Back home, you know, and then here we are at 7 a.m. I start work. No, that's not how it goes. (laughs) Normally, (laughs) normally wake up at about 6.37. You know, cream of rice goes down the hatch. Normally eat it outside, get a little bit of vitamin D, you know, throw throw the ball around with the dog, you know, have a little bit of a chit-chat and then pretty much into work at about 8 o'clock, 8.30 start. Mm. So you actually mean 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock start, right? Yes, I lied yeah. about all of those. Push those <laughs> back three hours and that's normally when the first check-in hits the uh, inbox of the client. Have you ever tried sunning the perineum out of interest? Absolutely not. Mm. Yeah, you might get a nasty, uh, nasty burn there. It's probably never seen the light of day. Yeah, it's I'm already white as it is. That. Yeah. What about you, Lawrence? I can imagine oh, yeah. it's probably a bit more variable for you compared to us online coaches. It is. Yeah, it is dependent on the day, but normally it's some sort of. Generally, it's it's actually like some sort of movement to start the day because on the days where I don't train first thing. I'll do some some steps in the morning, and lately my I you were my going wake... to say whether Gemma was around or not. Oh, mate! Even then, you know, exercise is a strong word, isn't it, for <laughs> my <laughs> contribution? Mm. Yeah, the um, Coming well, Gemma, as well, yeah, yeah. Sure well, no, that is a uh, a nice perk of of getting some of the body fat back on is um the awareness of of the opposite sex, but I would say that. No, Gemma I don't know now. what you mean. Can you go into a bit more depth around that? Or... <laughs> no. Well, before like... it wasn't the opposite. It was the same, and it was weird. He was <laughs> just looking at guys in trunks. Yeah. Oh, dear. No, but, like, Gemma gets up super early. Like, she's up at 4.30. So, on a Wednesday, I actually get up at 4.30 with her, and we go do some steps together at the gym, which is, like, a nice little pocket of time to, to chill together. And then most other mornings up between, like, five and five thirty and either do steps or get ready to go to the gym. I just I don't know if it's maybe, you know, you get into such a routine with prep, but I even since my last prep in twenty twenty, I just enjoy training first thing in the morning. I just think it's a nice way to start the day and it's probably when I'm 
you know, most energetic and it's like the first thing of the day. So nothing can really like make you have a bad session because it's the very first thing on the docket. So <laughs> that's probably my morning routine, but I do tend to go like make a cream of rice. I'll eat that while watching some sort of training video. And then it'll be into the study, trigger point, foam roll, back out to the dining room, write out the logbook, make the pre-workout and the intra, and then in the car and we're off. What about you, DC? Mm, yeah. So I'm usually up at around 7.30. I first thing up, just go have breakfast and then straight into check-ins. Really? So you, you have breakfast like a meat, like you don't... Do you hydrate? Do you like use the bathroom? These are the details I'm interested in. Oh yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. So you know, you know, go take a shit first, and uh, is that the kind of info you want? <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, so I'll go do that. No, I was just curious whether you literally just ate a breakfast. I mean, that's what I do, but yeah, yeah I, I guess we're alike in many. Get out of bed. The bed is right next to the refrigerator. Uh, and the toilet. I can tell you how many steps I need to take from the bed to the to the fridge. If that's the kind of detail. So it's a tiny need. home then. Yeah, and then okay. how many to the dump? And then what's the average stool rating per dump each morning across the week? Mm, all right, I'll cut. And approximate weight. Yeah, okay. I'll have to get back to you on that one. Um, mm. It's got to be at least three kilos. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, usually I yeah, my, yeah, seven thirty. I will have breakfast and then I will start check-ins. Uh, halfway through my check-in day, I will make sure that I go get lunch and then finish off the remainder of the day, take the pre, head to the gym, train for two hours, come back, have dinner, chill, bed, rinse, repeat. It's pretty much what time's your normal training time? Usually I am training around four. Damn. PM. The four worst. Man. Yeah. Well, it's actually just a touch before it gets like immensely busy. Usually mm. it's mostly busy around kind of like 5.30ish, starting to get toward, towards six. So when I'm kind of wrapping up training is usually when it's starting to get a bit more hectic. So mm. it's not too bad. I try and get in there like just before the rush. Do you keep that the same during prep or do you think that'll stay the same? No, it, it changes in prep. So I, I, I mean, I find I start getting more fatigued towards the end of the day in prep. So mm. I have this morning proclivity, right, to wake up, you know, exceptionally early. So whilst I'm most productive and energetic in the morning, that's typically when I start to train. So uh, yeah, usually training will be around like seven thirty or or eight or something like that. Mm, nice. Yeah, for me, I wake up at six thirty each day, and I yeah just hydrate, have breakfast. I'll usually when I'm drinking some water or having coffee, depending on what day it is, I'll kind of just touch base with clients that have messaged me overnight. And then I'll uh, have my smoothie, which has remained the same for literally like the past year and a bit. And then do some work until around seven, no, around eight, eight fifteen, And then uh, head off to the gym and, and usually start my session between eight thirty and nine. And then the rest of the day is usually work or yeah, work and some other things as well. So the smoothie is the pre-workout meal? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, smoothie will usually happen at like 7, 7.30. Just make yeah, sure right, it okay. digests efficiently. See, I, I literally could probably eat as I'm going out the door and it'll be no dramas. Like I normally eat and then, well, normally my getting ready for the gym is like a 45-minute window. So it'll be like eat We're in a seven. slightly different phase of our bodybuilding journey at the moment. You're no, I'm saying like it's crash. always like that. Right. I actually like loved that. your story, yeah. Lawrence. Keep going on. Sorry about that interruption. Actually, no, I'm going to go into more detail now. <laughs> no, yeah, because I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe it, maybe like it people... will be different, like peak peak off season. But I think maybe finding like the right food. I don't know. Maybe it's in my head as well. Like I almost feel like if I train too far away from the meal, I'm like not as energetic as I could be. Mm. I mean, the past few leg days for me, as I told you on, on IG, like I've been just having a banana and I feel better than having the whole smoothie. So like I'm almost fasted, which I wouldn't recommend necessarily to to most people. But I mean, it's either that or feeling sick within the session. But anyway, I can I can put that behind me now because I'll be starting my mini cut on Monday and then food won't be getting as high between now and prep. So do you have any protein with that banana? Like if you were to... I have you protein, that- I'd bring a protein shake for immediately after the session. Mm. So you won't have any protein feedings prior to that gym session like you would with a smoothie? No, I wouldn't, no. Mm. Which I know isn't isn't necessarily ideal, but I've only done that two or three times. But 
Thanks for raising that point. Yeah. <laughs> Write that down, Lawrence. Not that serious about it uh, on the whiteboard behind you. Call AJ up. We're pushing the season back another year. That'll teach him. How many times have you trained legs in the last month? Uh, <laughs> oh, my days. I'm going to go. Something's come up. Well, it's not so much the legs. It's, it's, it's the intensity doesn't necessarily uh, require a banana. Far more. We'll just move on to the next question. Four bananas. <laughs> if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Who wants to go first? A part of me thinks Dubai would be super cool, considering it's just got so much at a decent proximity, but at the exact same time, I feel like it would be fucking hot over there. Nothing you to know? do with tax. Was that? Yeah, zero percent tax over there as well. Would be absolutely exquisite. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I think Dubai is some place I could definitely live. I'm trying to think about another place that I could live. Hey, like move Bev Francis's gym over there. You know, Dubai. You know, I'd be cooking. But then they've also got what is the the main gym there? Buenos. Yeah, exactly. So that one's an absolute belter. So I'd probably have to say maybe Dubai if I was to live anywhere else. I think based on like culture, probably you'd be between New Zealand, Canada, and the UK. But then when you consider how many people from the UK move to Australia purely on weather alone, for as much as I'd love to live in Rotherham down the road from Ultraflex, I probably wouldn't have to... Maybe it would be New Zealand or Canada then. But then Do they again, even have any good gyms over in New Zealand? Only, only Eric's uh, shed, only Eric's uh, basement. By the looks, that's about <laughs> it. Yeah, the, the the gym game in New Zealand doesn't look great, so maybe it would have to be would have to be Canada. And Canada's pretty beautiful. So yeah. you're good go mates with Sea Bum anyway, so you'd probably be yeah. training with him at his private gym. I, I probably would end up training with him. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, for me, I would. I'm pretty happy in Brisbane. Like. It, the weather is tough to beat here and same with the quality of living as well. But uh, I'd probably Canada would be up there in like the top three. I know Tierra would never move to this next place with me, but maybe like uh, the Scandinavia region. Not to live maybe a short period, sort of what like, you know, uh, you guys know like Dean and Lizzie from Flex Success are sort of just uh, jumping around to different places. I, I would definitely be keen to do that sometime in the future uh, since we... Um, can afford to do that with our lifestyle, but um, we'll see where that takes us in the, in the coming years. What about you, DC? Mm, yeah. Uh, for me, I think I would want to spend some time in Malta. My, um, my dad, my dad grew up in, in Malta. So he's Maltese and I've got a, a Maltese passport. So dual, dual citizenship. So uh, I think maybe at some stage in my future life, I will uh, go over to Malta, maybe live there for a bit such a great lifestyle over there like the the summer months and such a, a close proximity to surrounding countries in europe you know travel to to italy and greece and spain etc it's on your very short short flight around so i think it would be a very cool place to live yeah i've never been to malta is it what what country would it be most similar to um i'd say probably italy yeah cool. i mean malta is in the mediterranean sea and it's just below the the boot of italy but um, it has influence from you know many of the surrounding countries, um, even even in even Muslim um, uh, the cultural uh, qualities as well, and, and even within the language as well, a lot of similarities too. But yeah, a lot of the surrounding countries are uh, sort of have influenced Malta over the years. Mm -hmm. Do you speak any Maltese? I don't speak Maltese. I wish I did. My dad speaks it obviously, obviously fluently. And uh, always speaks to his his uh, older brother in in Maltese whenever they speak, and I listen to them, and I'm like, oh, it would be so cool to speak, like to be bilingual like that. But um, maybe one day I'll I'll learn. Mm. Well, um, we'll move on to this next one, which is more nutrition related. If you could eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? So Lawrence's would be cream of rice. We already know that. DY's would be cream of rice as well. Mm. DC's would be. Chicken and rice. And what do you think Jack's would be, Lawrence? Like buckwheat, husk, <laughs> whey protein, <laughs> milk blended, Milo in there too, for a little bit of texture. That sandpaper bit. feel. Yeah, I reckon. Mm. Yeah, you've got me got me nailed down pat. I, I reckon I would actually go cottage pie. 
because it's not only one of my no favorite dishes. White potato. That'll be my my carb source. Potassium. He's good. <laughs> Dude, imagine the pumps. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be off tap. Uncontrollable. Uh, so good. Lean protein source. Bit of veg in there. Perfect. Mm. Yeah, see, Foles would probably go something good. Probably like spaghetti of some sort. You know, a little spagut? bit of variety. Bit of spagut. I normally have that every single day anyway, so or a variation of it with some slight alterations. So I think it would have to be like an Italian dish, like an Italian spaghetti of some sort. What about you, DC? Mm, man, it's such a hard question. I think I would probably go for like a, like some sort of red meat dish with, with uh, like roast vegetables and you know potato and things like that, I think would probably be the go-to. I'm trying to think of something that where you get like a, a good heme iron source plus a good HBV protein. You know, plus, just without thinking about it too much, like just based different on allotments, just based on preference. I mean, how how do you how do you make that decision just based off the cup, right? Because then you're going to choose yeah, something that's tough. highly palatable and tastes awesome. There's no consideration to it. Um, Mate, pasta you can customize it. You know, if you're yeah, really on those low right, calories, run, right. run the zoo, run the zucchini noodles. Like you know, yeah, yeah, yeah it's true. Maybe tastes got, like depression, like, but you know, you know hey, we'll hit the macros. <laughs> I'll go a nice like gnocchi dish with some, you know, some some meat in there. What if I said leftovers then? It would create like a loop on itself. Cause then you'd Yeah, be your leftovers, what would that be? A bit of Tierra's uh egg white omelet. Yeah. The secondhand fruit from the fruit barn. I'm thinking sardines on <laughs> some uh What the dog's leftovers, yeah. I mean, we're not being specific here, so it could be anything. <laughs> You've got to eat it on the plane, though. That's the only way you can eat it. Yeah, sardines on the plane. That's right. Sardines, bit of cottage cheese, a little bit of biscuits in there. What are those little vital eat? Yeah, you're on. Mate, don't sleep on the cottage cheese. Uh, cottage cheese, absolutely elite. It goes real well with those sardines, too. On some vital eat. Well, I mean, Lawrence had close to that. He had cottage yeah. cheese and tuna, so. That's why I'm looking at him sideways. Wait, cottage, what? What are you talking about? You mix cottage cheese and tuna in prep. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll do it now. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm hungry. I need my Your protein serving. Let's go. I'm off. Let's, let's cook. <laughs> so this one's over to you, Dy. What's the biggest challenge you're facing in your business right now, and how are you tackling it? That's a good question because I don't really think I am facing too too much of an issue with my business right now uh i'm gonna have to pass that off and maybe you're not not thinking hard enough about it Mm. well i feel like at the point right now i'm at a at a at a roughly a hard point where i'm somewhat full at capacity and you know now where do i go from here and i think that's it's it's a weird spot to be, but I'm sure that you, some of you boys are quite similar. Once you get to capacity, it's like, well, what do I do now? Do I just keep increasing my rates? And to be honest, I feel like the online training scene is already quite grossly overpaid to an extent. And a lot of the coaches now, once they get full, they just keep in, increasing the price. And the next thing you know, the prices are 100 150 $200 a week. And to be honest, I think that's quite unreasonable for the service to an extent. Like, but you've obviously got to go one way there. You've either got to find a way to open up more clients, which then could potentially bring down the quality of service, employ someone else or increase your rate. And those are more or less like the three ways to go about it. So I think that's where I'm roughly at right now, where I don't want to take on any more clients to an extent because I don't want to sacrifice my quality of service. Then I also don't want to increase my rate any further because I also feel at the exact same time, like I mentioned, we are quite, already quite pricey and i'm one of those people i'm like i'm just not going to up my rate to make it more unattainable for some people so yeah that's fair so you you had quite something good up your sleeve after all Mm. well it's something that's been playing on my mind you know as a businessman not really what about you uh dc yeah so i I mean i would say mine is is more likely to do with not not feeling guilty for taking some time away from coaching or from uh you know i I think when you're like a sole trader obviously i work within with you know with bk and um but you know i choose my own hours i I choose my own my own um athletes and i or you know based on on who wants to work with me but uh I, i think 
when there's all there's you can basically continue to work like you, you if you decide to not take any time off you could not take any time off you can work all parts of the day if you choose to in terms of you know programming um admin based work uh, obviously running check-ins like the you know replying to emails etc uh so i think for me there's always something to, to to like there's always something to do in relation to work but you know, outside of work hours, one thing I find hard to do is is sort of section that off as like me time, time where I, I need to, to, to you know, do what I need to do to be happy, right? And it could be just simply watching a TV show or, you know, things like this. But I know I have like an email to respond to. So I think for me, it's just that constant sort of tug of war between work-life balance back and forth. And like in a similar position to DY, where basically at capacity and, uh, you know, taking on more clientele would just perhaps provide a hindrance to uh not only like quality quality of life but but i also think you know the quality in which you you can give to your your athletes as well so yeah for me it's especially around this time of year like being around christmas you know most people would be taking a bit of a holiday within this time frame uh the most holiday i took was i just moved my my check-ins on christmas day christmas eve so i worked that day before took christmas day off and uh and then it's straight back into you know work again and i choose to do that like and i, and I love what i do um but i think it's just yeah just taking taking some time out every now and then and and uh not feeling guilty for doing so that's probably the, the biggest struggle that i have mm. yeah i'm sure many uh online coaches feel you there it's a bit of a price to pay for the wonderful job we have but it can certainly i think dwell on people's mental health and I mean mine is somewhat similar to that even of just finding the balance between um like what is my job in a sense like sure I check in with clients and that is definitely what uh is earns me money essentially but like what what do I do beyond that like do I create content um how how often do I do I do that like just the individual facets of what makes up my profession and how much time I should dedicate to each of that. And like relating to what you said, let's say I finished checking with my clients and let's say it's 3 p.m. and I'm like, oh, what am I going to do with this time? And like you potentially feel bad if you then go and relax and do something else. Um, and but you want to feel productive. So like you try and do something with like those two or three hours until you eat dinner, whatever it may be. And and then it's it's just a bit of a interesting, um, interesting aspect compared to other professions where um like if you're working in a hospital there's there's always something to do you get paid for x amount of time and you may even just like not do anything if if you haven't got anything to do because you're being paid regardless but i guess when you're your own uh sole trader or um, your own company it's it's a bit different i wonder if it's you know a bit of a i guess a, a productivity crisis where you know you, you see so many people posting things online and being very productive and um you know making use of their time but uh, everybody needs some downtime at some point, you know, like after you finish, after you finish your dinner, Jack, you could quite easily go back to doing, you know, more content mm. creation work. Right. But like, at what point do you take some time out for yourself? And I, and I think that if you can prioritize your non-negotiables that make you happy, then you're able to give back to your, your clients and, you know, be fruitful in that regard with, with their check-ins and responses and everything like that. So yeah, I think you're probably on a similar page to me, right? Like trying to not not to feel guilty for taking some time out, and um, you know, I guess sectioning your diary off so that your non-negotiable is you know between this time and this time. That's like my time. This is where mm. I prioritize myself. I'm you know not even looking at emails within this time frame uh, because that that's another thing is having downtime, but then like refreshing the email thing to see if any more yeah. any more emails have come through, and I think. You know, it's like, okay, I need to remove myself from that a little bit just so I can truly be present with Nicole or family or, you know, whatever it may be. And mm -hmm. we all need that time. Yeah. I think especially if you have a a partner and they're um, either doing, even if like Tiara and I were doing the same thing, but we're, we therefore have the same distractions and the same inclinations around the business. But anyway, what about you, Lawrence? Well, I suppose for me, like I'm at a point where, the online coaching side of of what I do is is changing a bit and some new opportunities to grow the amount of clients I have in that space and I suppose the the challenge and what I'm trying to balance at the moment is how I can you know put enough work into that to scale it up to then eventually potentially step away from some of the hours that I'm currently doing in the clinic 
whilst just making sure I, you know, keep everyone happy and make sure I don't, you know, leave one too soon. And because, you know, I don't want to then drop some hours at the clinic and then potentially two or three clients drop off in a month. And then it's like, oh, okay, I kind of need those hours back. So just making sure I get it to the point where, you know, both sides are ticking along really nicely, you know, steady flow of patients in the clinic that I can fit into X amount of days, but then also having, uh, you know, a, a hopefully growing roster of people on my own coaching side of things that will be there for the long run, you know, making sure that I, I wait till I'm confident that these are people that are going to stick around before I make that move. Yeah. Can't wait to see what those uh, changes will bring for the coaching. We'll keep them all hush hush for now though. Yeah, mate. It's uh, it's all just uh, 100 and I emojis at this point. You know, the uh, the classic 2024 is my year. Yeah. Uh, all those sorts of things at the moment, mate. So DC, what's okay. your favorite piece of technology from your childhood that has become obsolete and do you miss it? Oh, I can't think of anything in terms of technology, but the first thing that comes to mind is Cheese TV. How good was Cheese TV as a kid, right? I mean, that was like the best show ever. Like you'd wake up in the morning, you'd have your breakfast, you'd watch Dragon Ball Z or like Digimon, Pokemon, you know, then you'd, go to school, you'd go to school, you'd be thinking about how sick the episode was that morning, you know, chat about it with your friends, come back, wake up, rinse, repeat, so excited for that next day, that next episode. Uh, that's definitely something like the, the almost like the nostalgia and the excitement of that uh, was just so cool as a kid. I, I mean, I wouldn't call that technology, but that's probably something from my childhood that I, I cherish a lot. I thought this man was about to say the Game Boy, Pokemon or something, Nintendo DS, whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, but I mean, we got all those consoles now, right? Like, I don't Yeah, need but they're console. pretty much obsolete. Like, I thought you were going to say like black and white TV or something. You are the <laughs> oldest on here. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, back in my day, we only had, you know, pieces of paper and fucking pencils. That's TV. What is this TV you're talking about? I'm only 30 years old. I don't even think I had uh, cheese TV. I can only remember like toasted TV. Yeah. Toasted TV. Yeah. I don't remember cheese TV, TV at all. Oh, dear listeners, what are these guys talking about? It's cheese TV, fools. <laughs> um, I think toasted TV was the upgrade from Because you're all like 12 years old on here. Fuck. Mm. What about you, Lawrence? Obviously, being over at South Africa for a lot of your childhood, what, what was some of that you missed? Ooh, I don't know. Like, once again like i don't know i mean it would be obsolete i do miss like the nostalgia of the dvd store mm. or even like back when it was like even before dvds were readily available like i mean i still remember when and you guys would as well like putting videos into the video player like even before everything had become dvds and it's crazy for us to talk about that now but but it is true that like you know a lot of the like generation like teenagers growing up today probably will rarely handle a dvd let alone a video because everything is just on online now and on streaming services but yeah i always used to you know love it when we went to the dvd store and you'd go down with mom or dad on like a friday night you know you'd pick out a couple snacks and then you'd grab like a couple of movies and i remember like distinctly like going with my dad and he would always take so long to decide because he'd be like you know, we're spending money on this. We've got to get the right one. And he'd pick some like out of pocket movie. But in, you know, in his defense, we, normally we would all end up enjoying it. So yeah, I think the use of the video machine and then the overall experience of the, the DVD shop, I, I miss that. Mm. Yeah, that is a good one to be fair. Yeah. And not until you bring it up till you sit there and you be like, shit, yeah, I remember like pulling up Friday night, you know, renting out a couple of dvds to watch over the weekends pack of pods yeah pack of pods five dollars for the fucking pack though absolute extortion back then but you know had to be highway done. robbery mate highway robbery and every now and again you might rent a game you know maybe yeah. uh get a little game finish it over the weekend see mm. i remember renting vhs not and dvds yeah it's a bit of a difference <laughs> <laughs> I remember my mum had a car, like, and it was an Opal Cadet. I know it was an Opal, and it had like a little cassette player. And we used to play the Jungle Book on cassette and listen to that in the car sometimes. So, yeah, that was an old car. How good. 
Uh, maybe not so obsolete, but more obsolete for myself. But like, you know, playing like video game consoles, like PlayStation one, PlayStation two, and like actually going to like EB games and getting a new game. Like, I can't remember the last time I've actually pulled up to like EB games to buy a video game. I reckon it'd have to be eight years, 10 years ago. Cause well, like could you use steam now or something. Yeah. Just more, uh, on the computer. And then not only that as well, half the games you can freaking buy on your actual console yourself and you don't even need the disc itself. So, um, like even like stuff like coming home and playing GTA, like San Andreas, like ages ago, which, you know, how long has it been since you probably pulled out like the PlayStation two or the PlayStation one, which mm. by like just some of the memories you would have back on those games where you're like sitting and you're like, is GTA even real? There's so much to do. The graphics look out of this world. Now you're looking at it and you're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. See, I remember like literally getting my laptop or my console and we'd, we'd go and have like LAN parties. So there would be like yeah. you know, four or five of us all connecting our consoles together and playing LAN parties before you could go online. Like, I remember playing like Counter-Strike, like at school. Like, yeah. Know, so, um, Split one. screen like, too. One, you're yeah. sitting there. This guy's fucking cheating. Game's got the split screen. Guys yeah, has been watching you the entire time. Hey, no screen watching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mine would actually be before Orcs Chords came around. You had this like little contraption where it would connect to the radio station and you'd have to choose a radio station which didn't have any. Yeah, yeah, that was empty. And then you'd have to plug it into your phone and connect it to the radio station. Uh, which was a nightmare. So, no, I, I definitely don't miss that, but uh, I'm glad that it is gone. Jack, what you're describing there is how I currently listen to stuff in my car. Because <laughs> <laughs> the car that I have doesn't have an aux cord. So, oh, that's what man. I, it's like this like thing, and I, well, I, it's basically what you said there, like mm. the little contraption that plugs into the car has its own like frequency, I guess, and then yeah. you just match it up. Mate, the, the 2009 Kia Rio, they're down bad. Someone needs to get this man more clients ASAP. <laughs> Mate. This guy doesn't even have an aux cord. I didn't even tell you. It's I about got, to be I 2024. Got an, I got an update on the um the status of the the elusive RAV4. And I unfortunately was told that um, not only has it not been shipped, it has not yet been built. Mm. See, so, uh, I come to believe this thing's a myth. I don't even think you purchased a car. I don't even think you put your name on a list. This thing's like a mythical object. It's like almost Jack competing. It's a, it's a ruse. It's, 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 mythical, like, oh, it's like a unicorn. It's like that kid in school who's like, yeah, I've got a girlfriend, but she goes to a different school. Mm. No, you don't, lad. You yeah. don't. That was you, man. Yeah, it, it was, was me. <laughs> and it was an all-boys school too. Kind of weird, but yeah. Damn, that's crazy. Not judging, uh, though. Let's finish off with one or two ones. They're kind of the more interesting ones. Uh, share an opinion that you hold, which you know is unpopular, and defend your stance. I'll start off here, so I you give you guys some time to uh, think about this it. Man's been plotting. Mine's pretty simple, actually. It's just like people hating on the Spotify Wrapped. Like I, I don't like that because I mean, people are just sharing what they like to listen to on Spotify, and then people are sharing shit around like you're an idiot for sharing what you like to listen to, like. I learn a lot of bands or songs for what people listen to and they share it on their Instagram stories. I think it's really cool. So I don't, I don't like how people uh, hate on that myself. I'm not sure if you guys agree. Yeah, no, that's fair. Different. I think I guess it's not, it's not it's really one of those things. People opinion. just jump on it because it's like, uh, like something to, I don't know. Like I think people get, because they do the same thing with like the triple J hottest 100, where it's like when people start posting that, for every person that posts one, there's another person posting a meme about, oh, no one cares about your hottest 100. But it's like, dude, like, it, no, it no, doesn't affect you Nobody cares regardless like, of anything you do on Instagram. So mm. by definition, they're therefore not going to care about your Spotify round. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. Damn, I'm going to need a second to think here, I think. Maybe you guys just don't have any unpopular opinions. Mm. I don't know if it's super unpopular, but I'm going to go with this one because um, I, I had two roughly in my mind. I'm going to give your genetics are going to be the biggest determining factor of your success within bodybuilding. And not only that, it's also going to pick the division that you're going to be the most successful in. If you don't have good 
genetics to be a bikini competitor for the IFBB, unfortunately, as harsh as it is, you're pretty much never going to be at that one or two percent like percentile to get your pro card. And even more is wellness. If you do not have the genetic uh, capabilities for an IFBB wellness competitor, um, and you're, for example, top heavy with not much lower body, unfortunately, realistically, the genetics are going to be the biggest determining factor of your division that you're going to be successful in. Sure, you might be successful in some other divisions, but chances are, to an extent, you're going to be extremely limited. So I'll go with that one. Mm. Some people like you can outwork it, you can do whatever you want to do, you know, train hard, you know, never give up. But in the end, if if you've got a 34 inch waist as a female and you got huge arms and small legs, you're never going to be a wellness competitor. It's as harsh as it's going to be. And unfortunately, majority of the time you have zero control over that. You guys got anything? Otherwise we can move on. Um, Yeah. So I think, I think that faster tempos uh, in terms of eccentric training is not as detrimental to muscular hypertrophy as it's kind of painted the picture towards. Like if you see someone moving a repetition that's on the faster side, even including the, the eccentric, I, I don't think it's as detrimental for hypertrophy given that the set is still taken within a close proximity of, of failure. Um, cause I know some people will, will look at an exercise and go, Oh, it's just like, he's, you know, he's moving the weight too quickly. He's not controlling it. Like he's not controlling the eccentric phase. And, uh, I think some, often there's a, there's a sort of, a, a point of difference between what we perceive our tempo to be and what it actually is. Cause like, I see sometimes people post up videos of themselves being like, Oh, you know, putting, put, you know, doing my, my back squat with a three, zero, one, zero tempo. And, you know, I'm lifting this load. And like, if you count the eccentric phase, it's actually like 1.5 seconds or, you know, two seconds. So uh, I I think a lot of our tempos and training tend to be like a little bit quicker than what we actually think, think they are. Um, And there is literature out there looking at faster tempo based training uh, and its impact on, on muscular hypertrophy. And I have this sort of thought that large amounts of mechanical tension can be generated when you're moving a heavy load from an eccentric to a concentric phase and having to basically oppose its inertia. So, you know, if I'm doing a, let's say I'm doing a bent over row or something like that, and I move through that eccentric phase a little bit more quickly, well, then the momentum of the bar is greater, right? And I'm going to have to use a lot of force to oppose its direction as I then move into the concentric phase. So I think that that can facilitate large amounts of mechanical tension. So I think I have a slightly different take or, or thought process when it comes to uh, the role of tempo in, in terms of hypertrophy, not to the point where there is no tension through the course of the eccentric and I'm just simply dropping the, the load, then of course, and that's, that's not ideal. But I do think, you know, one second eccentrics can still be greatly beneficial for hypertrophy as much as this kind of two zero one zero is often painted as the you know, quote unquote ideal scenario. Yeah. I think I, yeah, I definitely get what you're saying. And I think the caveat maybe for beginner lifters, obviously you're not a beginner lifter, but they might be less inclined to get to longer muscle lengths if they're going quite fast and maybe they don't have as much tension, but if you're a more, uh, advanced lifter then i mean you've got those points covered you would think i think mm-hmm. in this situation if a lot of people know what they're doing for example if dc was to do it i wouldn't question him but a lot of people use the tempo to like slingshot out of reps and you know where their form might not be as good as what you'd want like what dc saying you've got really good form heavier on a leg press you know it comes down a touch quicker generates a little bit more um you know whatever you would want to um call it you know get a little bit more um, muscle damage in that lengthened position. You're still getting good range and then you're going to throw the weight back up. You know, to an extent, it's not going to be a bad situation, but a lot of people then bouncing it off the bottom and it's not a good look. And a majority of the time, it probably increases injury risk just slightly. But Mm. from what DC is saying, like, you know, if you're smart, you know what you're doing with the training and, you know, the rep speed's a little bit faster than the four second negative. In the end, if you're getting close to um, failure, you're going to pretty much get it, be getting nearly neck and neck results. But a majority of the time I see people doing it as a caveat to dog shit form. Mm, that's right. Like there was a study uh, done in, in uh, 2012, um, Bird et al. Basically muscle tension, muscle time under tension during resistance exercise stimulates differential muscle protein 
subfractional synthetic synthetic responses in men. And basically, uh, they they found that when weight was equated, they had two different groups. One one group basically took this uh this set to to failure using slow tempo, and then they basically equated the uh the number of um uh the number of repetitions on the other group uh lifting like heavier loads uh with a with a sorry with a faster tempo and and basically what they found is that the the group that went to failure had had better results in training so like if if the group that was using a faster tempo did more repetitions to you know approach failure for for their protocol perhaps hypertrophy would have been the same if not maybe better so i think there's there's tempo research out there that kind of depicts that slower tempos are more advantageous for for hypertrophy but um it's not consistent like there's there's also research out there that depicts that uh faster tempos can also be beneficial too so i think as, as long as you're controlling the load uh appropriately you're taking this set within a, a close proximity of fatigue slash failure and the the muscle that's actually fatiguing is the target tissue like if i'm doing a row it's it's my lats it's my rhomboids etc you know that's 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 kind of like the golden nugget there and i think where tempo training becomes more advantageous to really let's say slow down a movement is perhaps like connective tissue integrity if i'm i'm dealing with an injury or something like that it might be beneficial to 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 slow things down and you know like you said jack in terms of actually learning an exercise and i think tempo is one of those things where you adjust your tempo based on the movement that you're performing like i can afford to move through a bicep curl with a faster tempo then, for example, something like a barbell Romanian deadlift, where I move too quickly, maybe that that tension gets directed somewhere else. That bar traverses away from my my midline, um, increases the moment arm, makes the lift you know more challenging. I want to keep that you know that bar as close to myself as possible. If I'm moving too quickly, it's harder to do so. So, I think there's kind of benefits to tempo training, and some people kind of take it too far. Just like you I said, think, remember that time you were saying that you were, you know, like overly slowing everything down to the point where it's like, I'm no longer lifting heavy loads here. Like, and it's harder to gauge my proximity towards failure if I'm lifting things so slowly. Another thing that? on who said that? Didn't you say that, Jack? Like, that's how you used to train for, for, for a good um, Maybe indirectly. Mm. I think also some people, when you have the tempo super slowed down, um, they leave a lot of reps in the tank. Like a lot of people, like, you know, you're doing three, four second negatives on leg extensions and you've got a 15, 20 rep set. A majority of people might not actually even hit failure or close to it just because it is so hard and it burns a lot. Like the set is like so much more longer than what you might generate on, you know, a much faster um, negative in regards to like the leg extension. So it's probably easier to get to failure and a lot more people might be able to get to failure a little bit easier than doing it super, super, controlled like four second negative like maybe like a half second pause at the bottom that set goes for so long and is such a hard set when you truly do take it there for example like a leg press try doing a leg press with a four second tempo with like a half second pause at the bottom i'll tell you a lot more people would probably get closer to failure with a one to two second negative than what they would with a four second and a half second pause so you could caveat either way Mm -hmm. Mm, that's right you're up lawrence i'm I'm not a person who's like big into politics or anything, but mine is on the topic of politics. So I think my unpopular opinion is that almost everyone has an opinion about politics, but almost no one has an opinion that's worth listening to. And by that, I mean, is like everyone who you speak to in like day to day life will have an opinion about who's in power, which party's running, who's the leader, blah, blah, blah. But the, fraction of the population that knows the amount about what you would actually need to do to create policies and like run governments is so minute that the chances that you're talking to one of those people is like stratospherically low. So I was, cause I was actually talking about this with someone the other day where I was like, I don't like, that's why I almost don't get involved because like what goes into like the standard day, or like what these people need to know or what they deal with on a standard day of work, I think is just so far outside what any of us could possibly understand or know that it's almost frustrating that so many people have such strong opinions about politics and whether or not a politician is good or bad when really they actually have nothing to base that off. And most of the time they're just going off the the sniff test or the personality test or whether or not you sort of think that person is a nice man or woman. 
So, yeah. Is that a Kevin 07 sweater in the back there, Lawrence? It, 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 no, uh, sorry, mate. I'll, um, it's a Make America Great Again hat. Yeah. Oh, easily mistaken. <laughs> Very easily mistaken. I think also, sorry, just to double back on, on what I mentioned before, because I think I butchered the, the, stud, the, the explanation of the study just then, because it was basically two groups that matched the, the weight across both protocols. One had a slower tempo and one had a faster tempo. And the, the group basically both, both did the same amount of repetitions, right? But if I'm doing a slower tempo, I'm essentially doing more work than, than the, other, the other group. So one group just basically worked to failure. The other one submaximally capped their reps once they achieved the number of repetitions. Um, and then, you know, that, that was kind of like, look at the hypertrophy between the two. And obviously this, the slower tempo study had better hypertrophic gains because they worked harder. They did more work. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just thought I'd double back on that. I don't necessarily preach like slow tempos, but I do preach controlled tempos. And I know that AJ, um, and you ultimately saying that too, but I think one of the reasons why like I'm sort of trying to have at least a two second eccentric uh, at the moment, which is quite hard for some movements, especially when I'm used to training at a really high intensity, maybe with uh, faster tempos is for that reason. Like you do ultimately get to uh, the point of failure faster or with fewer reps. And it's almost more replicable than leading into a deficit phase because it's each rep is consistent and it looks the same if that makes sense to you. Yeah, but I mean, you could still employ consistent reps even if your eccentric was slightly faster. Why, why yeah, would it I agree. Less but I think, uh, therefore, I think control is the right word as opposed mm. to maybe speed. Yeah, that's right. I think it's putting a like, number on it is maybe where a lot of people could go wrong. Yeah, like, that's right. Yeah, you you yeah, could yeah. reiterate, like, listen, I want you to control it. I want you to feel it in the target tissue. And I want the reps to be somewhat consistent from week to week. And I think if they were to do that, a majority of the time it will tick all the boxes. Yeah. So it's almost like some exercises, it may be best to not even prescribe tempo, right? It's like, in a way you could say, well, I want you to do this particular movement. I want you to move at the speed in which you feel the target tissue working, prevents you from, you know, like I said, prevents you from just flying through the repetition and potentially injuring yourself. And, uh, but I want you to move quick enough to achieve like your desired repetition. So I'm not slowing it down excessively where I'm just thinking about the target tissue that's working as a result of, you know, decreasing load. It's almost like no tempo is prescribed. But I think if someone was to overly stick to a tempo throughout the entire course of their, you know, their, their, their set, um, uh, that's going to be hard to, right? Because like my tempo slows as I reach a higher, higher level of um, fatigue. So I feel like tempo training in terms of a prescription is more likely Hey, these is this is how I want the first, you know, few repetitions to flow, but I can't really prescribe you a tempo for the last, you know, three, four, five repetitions within that set because hopefully the concentric speed is much slower because you're working towards that proximity of failure. There was a a recent paper on exercise technique for hypertrophy that I was reading the other day. Milo's on it, I think Schoenfeld, maybe Dr. Pack. Um, but they had a section where they spoke about repetition tempo. So theirs was like a narrative review where they sort of scoped across like a lot of the literature. And basically their conclusion was that it does indeed appear that significant increases in hypertrophy can occur with repetition durations between two and eight seconds, which basically meant that it allows for a plethora of acceptable eccentric and concentric tempos. So I think in that in itself sort of shows that there really isn't one best tempo. And I think that's where, like with so many things in bodybuilding, it's going to apply to the individual, to the lift, to personal preference, all that stuff's in there as well. Mm, mm, yeah, was, that the, was that the rep, sorry, or the, just the eccentric for two to eight seconds? So that was the rep duration right. that okay. they wrote there. Because they said that there was, like there, there is, um, for example here, Herrera et al., found that performing a four-second eccentric elicited greater absolute biceps brachii hypertrophy compared to a one-second eccentric. So, Mm. you know, that is some evidence where it's like, okay, cool, the slower one is better, but then there's also, you know, studies where there's no difference. And once again, I think that the individual variation, and it sort of comes back to like what DUI was saying, because there's people out there who it just doesn't matter what they do. They're going to grow better than 
sort of some other people anyway because their genetics are that good. So, mm. and if your rep speeds, if you're getting a full completed rep as a bodybuilder in sub two seconds, I'm uh, probably looking at you sideways. I'm not going to lie. There'll be some serious slingshotting off the gut on those leg presses. That's how yeah, you describe your leg days. Mm, Two seconds. Exactly. Centrics. That's why they're done in 20 minutes. Yeah, well, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, our final episode recorded of 2023. We'll see everyone in the new year with our new episode. Thanks to everyone for continuing to tune in. We're excited for the uh, upcoming seasons of bodybuilding in 2024.